From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep. We explore our Catholic faith, dive deep right into it. I'm your host, Andrew Hansen, along with my co-host, Amber Servany, and Father Chris House. Father Marty Smith from Jerseyville making the trek up as our special guest today. We were talking right before the podcast, Father House, you were gone about rattlesnakes, that they're in Illinois, and they're down there in Jerseyville. Well, I, I had no idea Jer- that rattlesnakes were even in Illinois. So not far from Jerseyville, uh, where Principia College is, which is, you know, not far from, uh, I can't even tell the towns, but, you know, closer to. Is that Elsa? Cal- yes. Down okay. by there. Elsa. Yep. Uh, there, there are rattlesnakes all around out in those woods out there. They even, they keep track of them. They, uh, I, I, however you track a snake, I don't know. And that's it's not, <laughs> I don't have much experience in that, but, uh, they, they do, they, they, they study them, they track them and all that, but, uh, I hope never to see them. Oh, that's, I say that's legit. I do yeah. know. All right. We're talking three tickets to heaven. Um, father house shakes his head because, uh, for marketing purposes, I don't like the title. He's theologically dubious. Yeah. Well, (laughs) anyway, people are listening. That's the whole point, right? (laughs) Um, so these are, uh, three, we're going to explore three things that uh, definitely help you to get to heaven. If you get a ticket, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get there. We didn't say three guarantees to heaven now, did we? No, we said tickets. You may get on the plane and may not show It's implied. Well, whatever. All right. So up first are, uh, indulgences. Um, first of all, uh, Tell us about the history of this and uh, and and how the church applies it today. Well, you know, historically everything was fine until Martin Luther came along. No, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Don't so, uh, no. <laughs> only, only half lighting. kidding. As yeah. I have to. <laughs> you know what, the, what? What is an indulgence? An indulgence is um, a share in the merits of Christ's sacrifice. So we teach that. Our Lord Jesus Christ, through his passion, death, and resurrection, has won for us salvation. And so with all the merits, the graces that come from that, he has placed them in the treasure house of the church. And so the church then, in her authority, is able to dispense those merits and those graces for, for not for the remission of sin, but for the remission of temporal punishment. So when someone sins— so you have the offense, and the offense can be forgiven, of course. But then there is the what we might call the restitution or uh, the residual effect of the sin, so the temporal punishment. So how is that taken away? It's taken away through prayer, through good works. Um, if you die with traces of residual, that residual still on you, um, that, that temporal punishment, then a, that's taken away in purgatory. Or indulgences, and so so an indulgence is that gift, that share, and the merits of the grace of Jesus Christ. So these have been around in the church this notion for a long, long time. Sadly, though, we went through a time when there were uh, quote unquote enterprising people in the church who abused this and preyed on people's fear and their faith and attempted to sell these. So. Um, you had, uh, I believe it was the Dominican John Tetzel who had the famous uh, saying, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from Purgatory Springs. So um, that was his pitch. I don't know if it was that if it was that catchy in German, oh. but because uh, that's where it would have been. The, so. the original line in It's a Wonderful Life, but they changed it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So at the time, as the Reformation's building, it is a legitimate criticism of Martin Luther and of other reformers because – um, Pope Leo X, we could argue, was not the brightest page in uh, papal history. 
um, some of these abuses that should have been nipped and they weren't until later on. So but finally in 1567, so shortly after the end of the Council of Trent, that whole practice was officially abolished and crushed. So indulgences are free. Anybody can get them. Um, so, so, so what is the process? So for example, when I was in Rome, uh, they, I remember going to St. John Lateran and I, they had like a little, you know, I saw a little sign that said, if you, I don't mean I have this right. If you go to confession, um, if you go to mass after confession within a certain amount of time, because you are in a papal basilica, you will receive an indulgence. Right. There's usually there, there's common, there are common, um, steps you might say, or, uh, components to receiving an indulgence, whether partial or plenary. So partial is just that partial or plenary means a total remission of temporal punishment. Which means so, purgatory would be like wiped out if you were to die. For that moment. For that moment, okay. And then wait five minutes and uh. sin has a notorious <laughs> way of creeping back around. So, yes, yeah, so you have reception of the Eucharist, Joey praying our Father, a Hail Mary and a glory be, yeah, praying for the Holy Father's intentions, mm-hmm. and then being free from attachment to sin. So that's why confession is an integral part of receiving an indulgence. So usually... All of those things have to be satisfied by tradition. We say usually seven or nine days of each other, usually quite quickly. Most people will. But do. once you sin within that time afterward, it's you're you're back to exactly. square one. Yeah. So well, wait a minute. What if you hadn't gone to confession yet? So you go to mass, you do the prayers, you pray for the Pope. You, you maybe mess up. Okay. A couple of days. And then you get to confession. Does it, does it, did that sit in between there? Really and confession there? Actually confession is the grounding part of that. That's the foundational aspect is the confession of sins. And then. The other things and that go with you. it. So that's why when we had the Jubilee door during the year of mercy years ago, yeah. I put it right next to the confessional at the cathedral. So that's where it was. It literally was 10 feet. So, yeah. And, so. and, and I think if for Catholics who are listening, they say, oh, great. that I can go to a, you know, a, a papal basilica, but there's none in, in America. So how, what are, what are options for us here to receive an indulgence? You mentioned the year of mercy, but that of course is over. Well, there's something we have. We have the handbook of indulgences, which is. <laughs> Freely available, although I couldn't find a copy today at the Pastoral <laughs> Center, but whatever we got one here somewhere. There's a, so, uh, there's a couple of popular ones that we're coming up on, um, you know, during the whole month of November. Uh, you can, if you visit a cemetery and pray for the souls in purgatory, you know, kind of talking, relating to what we uh, have talked about in the other podcast, but, um, uh, and you meet, meet those condi- uh, conditions and, you know, it, you don't approach it like a, um, get out of jail free card yeah, or like a magical formula or like right. a spell or exactly. something, you know, it's not like this, Oh, I got to do this. And it, then I have to exactly do this. And then now I've made this recipe. And then that it's, it, there, there are exercises which help us to, to live out our faith and to put, put that in, into practice and trusting that God is going to give us that grace that, you know, even if we don't feel it, if we don't see it in that moment that we know that we're, we're expressing our devotion, we're doing these things. So like if we, we go to confession, we pray for the Pope's intentions, we pray for God to help us to be detached from sin and all those things. And then we visit a cemetery and pray for the souls in purgatory. We, we trust that there's an indulgence that uh, either for us or for a soul in purgatory or, or, Something of that manner. Right. Yeah. It's not about super, it's about, you know, it's mm-hmm. seeking God's grace, seeking to attain eventually God's glory. So it's all that. Yeah. It's not, I know to the casual observer, listening, yeah. it sounds like a bunch of 
muckety-muck and superstition. Like a Nicolas Cage movie where you're like on some journey and you have to do each thing and then something like that. Exactly. (laughs) Really, I want to talk about, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right, but plenary plenary indulgences? Plenary indulgences. Okay, so that's total. That means wipes everything away. Yeah. So so my brother who passed away, so he he developed leukemia and went to the hospital and they had to put him in a coma, all that sort of stuff. We had, you know, he, he was in that state for about a week. I mean, we had, I'll be honest, we had priest after priest come in who, who did the anointing of the sick and, and said our prayers. And, and that was great. And then finally a priest came in and said, well, well, can, well, can I offer the plenary, plenary indulgence? And we're all like, well, what is that? And then he explained what it is. And we're like, holy cow. Yes, please do that. And so he did it. And it was, it was, in all honesty, it was the most powerful experience I've ever had in our Catholic faith to be in that hospital room with him. If, you know, he's got everything on and the blessings and, and the words he's, it's just, it was incredible. And to understand the power behind it. Right. And that indulgence you're talking about is the apostolic pardon. Apostolic pardon. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, cause he mentioned plenary indulgence. So, so that, that actually is, that's all looped kind of together in right. those. So, you know, so when we heard it and it's like, well, okay. So in that sense, if he dies, we're, you know, of course I still always pray for my brother, but at the same sense, well, we, I know he didn't sin because he was in a coma and then he passed away. So in that sense, you know, if he received this and I, I stand behind what the church teaches, he is in heaven. What an awesome, I'll call it tool at our disposal. And why doesn't more people know about this? And frankly, why don't priests know about the apostolic pardon and these indulgences when they came? That was, that was very, uh, it didn't sit well with us. Well, it's all in the ritual book. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the the pastoral care of the sick, when I um, when I go and visit somebody either at home or the hospital who's gravely ill, um, I always I just I give the apostolic pardon. It's just it's something automatic. Um, it's just because in those moments you give them all you've got and that. And so, I mean, even with somebody who may not be conscious, the whole because a lot of times these things taken after the will, we would say. But at the same time, for a person who would be unconscious, the question would be then, if they were conscious, would their soul be disposed to cooperate with this grace that's being given them? And, of course, we want to say yes. That's our hope. So that's why we give it to them. In the end, all things rely on the mercy of God, and that's what we trust in. But, once again, it's a gift. It's been given by Christ. It's a share in his merit from the act of satisfaction. So it's a gift of grace. And because God's ultimate desire— is for us to be saved, to have salvation, to have life with him. So, so, so I guess a little tip, if you have a loved one on death's door, obviously the sacrament of anointing the sick is good, but ask for the apostolic pardon as well, just in case the priest, you know, doesn't forgets it. Right. Sure. All right. Three tickets to heaven. So, uh, three ways to get to heaven, father house. Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> What's next, Amber? Um, adoration. And, and we're going to lump holy hour into that as well. Yes. Um, the one thing about a holy hour, which uh, I don't know how many people know the history of it, but it all stems from when Jesus is suffering in the garden and he tell, you know, his apostles are sleeping on him and you could not watch one hour with me. Um, holy hour maybe sounds intimidating. So, so Father Marty, a, a holy hour is really whatever you want it to be, right? Yeah. You know, I always encourage people if, if, when you say holy hour and it can, like you said, can seem overwhelming or like, I, I don't know if I can do that. I always encourage people just, you know, start by stopping in a church, take five, 10 minutes, you know, kneel there and, uh, you know, pray before the blessed sacrament. So whenever, you know, in our churches, as father house pointed out, um, uh, earlier, I think it was, uh, that we always have a tabernacle 
you know, uh, the inside that tabernacle is the the presence of Jesus, the body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And when we stop in there and take time to pray, even for a few minutes, uh, we, we're there in the presence of Christ. We are, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who explained it this way. I know you've, Father House has told me this many times, but it's kind of like being in the presence of radiation, where you don't see radiation, you don't feel it, you don't taste it or whatever. But if you stay in the presence of radiation long enough, it'll start to change you. And, you know, you can, that's just an allegorical way to kind of understand how the, the grace is when we're there in the presence of the Eucharist, we may not detect anything, we may not see anything, but we're being in the presence of Jesus and that can't help but to change us. And, you know, you start small and you work your way up, you know, uh, start once a month or, or trying it or do it and make it more frequent or however. So I love that. And I feel like with the um, study that just came out that so many Catholics actually don't believe in the, um, presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that um, adoration is this really great moment. It's not just walking into a building, it's walking into Christ and and getting to spend time with them. And I think, um, I think it's easy for Catholics even to, to forget that, that Mm -hmm. it's not just going and sitting in, you know, in silence. It's like presenting yourself to Christ, um, which is powerful. Is is that, is there a distinction between adoration and a holy hour? Or are those, are those kind of the same terms? Well, I mean, adoration, I think a lot of times people confuse terms adoration and exposition. Anytime you're in a church and the blessed sacraments there, whether the Lord is in the tabernacle or in the monstrance or in a ciborium on the altar, all those are acts of adoration. Exposition is when the blessed sacrament is actually brought out. So anytime you're in the church and in the presence of the blessed sacrament, whether behind the doors or not, that's an act of adoration. So in a holy hour, a holy hour does not have to be in the presence of the blessed sacrament. That's kind of the norm, especially for, you know, for, for priests and deacons, for seminarians, for religious, that's, that's our practice. But no, a holy hour can be made. A holy hour is being in the presence of God and you can be in the presence of God. Of course, it's, it's perfectly God's presence is made known to us in the blessed sacrament, but there are other ways of entering into it. And you always do a holy 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be a holy hour. A holy hour, obviously, because, you know, Jesus is what he said in the Bible. But sure, you do a holy 15 minutes, Any right? time spent <laughs> with the Lord, especially with the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, is not time wasted. It all will have benefit. And our third uh, ticket to heaven we want to talk about is the rosary um, and the incredible gifts surrounding it. Um, one thing my mom has always said is, so, you know, I... I come from a, a very large family, a lot of cousins and things like that. And um, I'll be honest, we're, we're all Catholic, except for maybe a few. And a lot of them don't go to church as, as often as they should. And one of my aunts asked uh, my mom once, well, how come your children still go? Like, well, what did you do different? How did you raise your children? And she said, we prayed the rosary because we prayed the rosary every day as a little, you know, I can't remember how, how young I was, but you know, basically did it every day. And I'm convinced of that as well to think of all the trappings of, you know, when I grew up and, um, and the culture and going off to college and, and the easy way you could, you could fall away. But I feel like I had, you know, our mother by my side over all those years. Um, it's an, it's an incredible gift. Why do you guys think the the rosary is is such a big deal? Why why does the church really elevate it in terms of like when you call the all of our uh, prayers that are at our disposal? It's got to be at the top. Well, I think one of the things with the rosary is that, um, of course, is greatly associated with the Blessed Mother, and one thing we see, especially from the 
beginning of John's gospel. We see at the, the wedding feast of Cana that our Lord does not deny his mom. Really so, quick, I, I love that story because it always seems like it, when, when uh, Jesus didn't want to do anything and Mary is just like, mm, it's time. Let's, let's get the ball I've always going said there, she doesn't say anything, but there had to be a look. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. had to be a look. And then they got wine and not just any wine. It was great wine and it was a lot of wine. And but, it was the best wine. But, and that's where that custom comes from at Catholic weddings of the bride or the couple together, bride and groom going and offering flowers maybe to the Holy Family, but especially to Mary. So at the beginning of their married life, just as that couple at Cana, in their moment of need, it was Mary who interceded with her son to help them. So with the rosary, I think sometimes we get this confused. Mary is, it's a, we would say, yes, it's a Marian devotion because the, the cornerstone of that is the praying of the Hail Mary. But the mysteries are, are mysteries of Christ. Even the mysteries that deal with Mary are still mysteries of the Lord and of how salvation is played out, whether through the joyful, the sorrowful, the glorious, or the luminous mysteries. So, and the luminous was given to us by Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. He added that. Yes. Yeah, in many ways, it's you're contemplating the life of Christ through the eyes of Mary, but it, it, everything as, that Mary does always points us closer to Jesus. That's exactly. what House was talking about. And, you know, even that story, the beautiful— uh, uh, story of the wedding of Cana. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. So she's always telling us, she's always pointing us to him. So when we contemplate Christ's Paschal mystery, his life, death, and resurrection uh, through the eyes of Mary, and we know that she is always drawing us closer to him, that that's when it really starts taking its deeper meaning. And we realize by what we're doing, we're growing closer to God and honoring his mother, whom he loved and who he gave to us as our mother. Yeah. And her life was about faithful obedience. Mm-hmm. And if you're meditating on the mysteries of the Lord, the Lord's life, which so intimately involve her, those prayers, especially the Hail Mary, I mean, in your experience growing up, I can only think that's probably rubbed off the, the whole notion of that faithful obedience to God that was the hallmark of Mary's life. And that, that, that meditation over those years, it took root and produced fruit. I did some little, some kid stuff though. So she would always make us lead. Sometimes we do like three, three Hail Marys at a time. So I took a microphone and recorded myself saying a Hail Mary. So when she pointed to me to go, I hit, hit play on the little boom box and it was my voice and my mom didn't flinch. Oh, and, and to, to this day, I'm like, I gave her, how did you, I, cause of course I'm a kid. I'm trying to get a rise out yeah, of my yeah, mom. Yeah. She didn't flinch and let the, my voice play out for the hail Mary. And she just said, no, you know, Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for, and it's just like, you know, my whole, my whole plan just went down, down the tubes because she didn't flinch. Uh, and the, Oh, my Jesus prayer that came from us are from our lady of Fatima when she appeared uh, to the three children. So that was kind of, you could say, I guess, an addition to the hail Mary at that point. Um, when I was researching, um, the, for this podcast, I read that actually too, that the rosary is another um, indulgence and that if you read, if you say the whole rosary, it's a full indulgence with the other things that you indicated before, but even a partial rosary can result in a partial indulgence, Mm -hmm. which I really, I did not know that. Hmm, So if you pray two decades, you get like two fifths indulgence. Yeah. I mean, is that like five years off purgatory? I always, I always wonder how that works. What's the other house has a little indulgence scale. Really quick. There, there is a, uh, one of my Protestant friends brought this up. What's the scripture passage that says you, you don't re, don't repeat prayers. You know what I'm talking about? Um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't repeat prayers. 
It, would it be referencing when uh, Jesus is talking about don't pray like the scribes and the Pharisees? Don't Babylon, yeah. don't multiply words. That, that yeah. one, that one. So he specifically said, he pointed to that scripture and said, you guys pray the rosary where it's just Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. So what, what's, what's, what's the proper response to someone who points to that scripture passage? I hope you pointed to several others and said, yeah, but you're not doing this, this, and this. So uh, I didn't because I was, I wanted to be so kind. I, so I tried to, argue the I tried to yes. explain the rosary and really behind it. Because my, my thing is I, he's, I he's pray the Our Father. And I'm like, well, you, you repeat that. And I'm like, what's your definition of repeat? Is it every day? Is it once a week? Well, is it that's every the time? scripture you know? he's talking about. That's the whole point. That, I mean, it's words for the sake of words. And that's the pro- and that and that's where some could find that the rosary could be a turnoff for some people because they think it's just that this rote recitation of words. Mm-hmm. But it's like with anything, you know, pr- prayer that is deliberate, that is intentional, that is backed by faith. That's prayer that's efficacious. Prayer is not a spell. It's not just I say these words and this happens. No, prayer is a tool. It's a vehicle. That that faith is carried with, is transmitted to. It's you know, it's presenting that to God. So, and you know, uh, like Father House is talking about, you know, it, we can use those things to kind of uh, to meditate, to especially to dive into things deeper. And what is the? I, I can't remember what it's the exact the title of it is, but like in the Eastern Church, the the prayer that they pray. Oh, the uh, Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer. Yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they'll they'll pray this. Over and over again. Yes, over just again yeah. and again and again. Well, I think of, I think of the Divine Mercy Chaplet mm-hmm. where you say, yeah. you know, you say, you say 50 of those. But um, I tell you, when, yeah, when you really start to just think and dive deep into the meditation mm-hmm. and and it's it's beautiful. Well, and the hope is that the, the rosary will elevate you to the hope of heaven. You know, going back into Bishop Barron, he always, I remember him talking about this, that the rosary is a memento mori. It's a reminder of death. Not to be macabre, not to be gloom and doom, but the fact is we all are going to die. Whether we want to accept that or not, it's going to happen. And so keeping that before your eyes that I'm going to die, this earthly life is going to end. Therefore, I need to be living my life in such a way so that when it does end, I can accept God's invitation to go on to greater things. And so that's the the rosary is meant to lift us up to that reality. Remind us that, yes, you will die, but live your life in such a way so that the fullness of God's glory can be revealed to you. So great advice to finish it out. This has been Dive Deep. If you would like more podcasts, head to our website, dio.org slash podcast. We'll see you next time.